0: One of the things that BT does exceptionally well is really live up to its purpose. Our purpose is we connect for good. There are so many use cases that we're currently talking about how 5G can really change the way that we live. Things like connected cities, like parking sensors so that you know where a car park is available. You've got things like rubbish collections and only collecting rubbish when the bins are full. My manager has a saying that ideas do not respect hierarchy, and I think that's absolutely true. You know, ideas will come from everywhere within the organisation and we can work together to kind of build upon those and turn good ideas into great ideas. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is getting things done.
1: This is CRNet TV. My name is Hendrik Dekkers. I'm here today with Angela Jenner, who is the Transformation Director of the Service Platforms uh, of BT. A very warm welcome, Angela.
0: Thank you, Hendrik. It's great to be here with you today.
1: Angela, your parents are originally from the Netherlands. You were born and grew up in New Zealand and then you moved to the UK at the age of 25. You have 28 years of experience in IT and telco industry, and you have worked for companies such as the Carphone Warehouse, TalkTalk, Talk, the BBC, and UView. And then in 2013, you joined BT, where you are now the transformation director of the service platform. So Angela, tell us a little bit more about yourself, what's your background, and how did you arrive in this position at BT?
0: So Hendrik, I've always been really passionate about technology. Um, As you've said, I grew up in New Zealand. I I left school and and started in full-time employment and I immediately started working with technologists, with engineers. And started working with customers and and delivering sort of products and projects for them that would really change the way that they work. And that has always been a thread throughout my career. So I started off delivering some small projects and that led Mm -hmm. to larger programs and that led to business change and transformation. And I guess some of the things that, um, you know, have really influenced me is the way that technology can really change how businesses operate and, and how people feel. And that's something that I've, I've really enjoyed. Over my career, I've worked in mobile, I've worked in voice and TV broadband. So I've had quite a, a range of different experiences, which all come together here at BT, who look after all of those different technologies and customers. So I think I've, I've been um, you know really, really fortunate in some of the sort of leading edge products and technologies that I've been able to work in and deliver over, over the years. Um, and I have delivered some of um, some projects that have, I guess, been failing or, mm-hmm. or maybe have started to take off, but not really taken off. Um, so I've come in and, and helped to deliver those. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is, is getting things done and really getting to that, that end outcome.
1: Okay. So Angela, how would you describe BT? It's a household name, but tell us a bit more about what BT does and what is it that it does really, really well?
0: So, I mean, BT is a a telecoms, media, technology company. We've got Mm -hmm. over 100,000 employees around the world. And um, we are looking after global customers we have consumer customers we deal with small and medium enterprises we also deal with large global corporations mm-hmm. so we have over 30 million customers we have over four thousand multinational corporations and i think one of the things that BT does exceptionally well is really live up to its purpose mm-hmm. our purpose is we connect for good and that is something that we do and we do incredibly well I think particularly in the past year where we had the the coronavirus pandemic hit Mm -hmm. I think BT responded um, incredibly to that you know helping companies stay connected helping people stay connected Um, and I think we have some really fantastic uh, employees really talented staff that we work with and and obviously service our customers in a brilliant way so The people and the the technology, I think, and our purpose are are the things that make us really great.
1: Okay. So we live in times of transformation, of of times of change. I mean, pandemic and and, and many other things uh, mean that companies need to reinvent themselves. They need to redesign themselves. They need to better serve the customers and so on. So there's a, a lot of drivers of change going on uh, in in business today, what are for BT the main drivers of change that you see?
0: So I think there are um, you know some really big drivers in the way that society is moving, and the prevalence of technology and communications within society, and the way that we're moving to a much more digital um, way of living. So technology mm-hmm. is, at a macro level, having a really fundamental change on, yep. on people's lives. I think some of the, the growth is through the sort of data and insights that we now have. That is a real driver for change, the way that we can use that data, use the technology to really make a difference. So things like the introduction of smart cities and the way mm-hmm. that 5G is changing the way that, that we, can, we can interact. I think that from a, a business perspective, we are always looking to grow and to innovate as a business. We are looking to really simplify the way that we work, simplify our systems and platforms and become um, you know, a, a much um, simpler business. And we're also obviously looking to, to reduce our operating costs. So those are some of the more sort of business-related drivers for, for mm-hmm. that change. Okay,
1: I can imagine that also, customer experience, employee experience, and and the need to do that is a driver of change, correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, delivering much better experiences and digital experience for our customers, making it a lot easier to do business Mm -hmm. with us. Um, You know, our ambition is to have the best place to work and create the best environment for our employees. So that's something that we're absolutely um, passionate about. And I think through a lot of the simplification that we're we're doing, we're able to create that um, that environment for our employees and that amazing customer experience for our customers.
1: Now in order to drive all that change inside an organization and inside a big business uh, uh, like BT, it is necessary to have a strong innovation force inside the company. So, so let's talk about open innovation and how that is, um, how that is accomplished uh, within BT. So maybe we can start in uh, the discussion with, well, what is, where do you see some good examples of, uh, of innovation, of open innovation going on in, uh, in your organization?
0: So, I mean, innovation has been in our DNA for the last uh, 170 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, from the time that the electric telegraph was invented through to our leadership in, in fiber optics, it's mm-hmm. something that, um, you know, we're obviously incredibly passionate about. We invest a lot in our innovation Mm -hmm. and I guess if you if you look back sort of 40 years ago a lot of the innovation would have been done in a lab we would have Mm -hmm. run through a process we would have then launched something to our customers and we've really flipped that on its head in the last 20 years so we absolutely have been running open innovation we want to bring our customers much closer to the start of, of innovating, working with them very deeply to understand what their problems are, what their hopes are, the things that they're trying to achieve, so that we can work really closely with them to, to innovate from the beginning. And we've got um, a destral Park, um, our home of innovation. We have a, a cluster of over 150 companies there. Um, they work very closely together with us and it's from names that you would recognise, you know, the Cisco's, the Nokia's, through to mm-hmm. a lot of small and medium enterprises and also some startups that are working on some really um, you know, interesting new ideas. Um, And we have our labs co-located with our operational centres so effectively we've got our innovation happening really close to where our our operations happen so we can learn and make sure that as we're innovating we're doing that with a real sort of sense of, of purpose and understanding what those those outcomes will look like and and also providing support back to those operational teams, um, you know, w- when they need it. Yep. We have a, a relationship with a, over 40 universities across the world, um, so we do a lot of, of innovation with them and we also run things like hot houses and innovation days where we bring customers into the park, we um, work really closely between the engineers and the customers to understand uh, what their needs are and how we can help them. And just bringing the, the right people together to collaborate and to, to to work together on what we can do to um, to really innovate and, and change um, how those customers operate.
1: Okay. So Angela, R&D and innovation in R&D are of course core to an important company like uh, BT. Uh, but I can imagine that innovation needs to happen throughout the company and in every unit and in every team there needs to be a spirit of innovation. So let's talk about open innovation and let's address three different dimensions of it, if that's okay with you. I would like to talk about the culture of innovation and the people side. I would like to talk about the process side, how we organize innovation in R&D and outside of R&D. And I would like to talk about the the most important technologies uh, that drive innovation. So let's talk about culture and people first. So, and and I understand that you play an important, and your team plays an important role in that. So what is your view on creating a company culture uh, that allows uh, to do open innovation?
0: So, I mean, I think at the heart of innovation is having a culture of curiosity. And really being able to have that that learning culture and instilling that you know throughout the organization, innovation happens everywhere at BT on a day to day basis. Our teams are working with customers with suppliers to to innovate and to deliver those kind of leading technologies and, and leading solutions and I think that um, we really think about uh, purposeful innovat- innovation in our culture, so really bringing together you know, science and engineering to deliver value and really thinking about what is mm-hmm. the purpose, what is the value behind what we're doing. I think that um, our, our um, innovation team is called the Applied Research Team. And there's a very mm-hmm. good reason for the word applied being in that that title. And that is about us really understanding that the benefits and the value of, of what we're doing when it comes to innovation. I think um, you know collaboration is absolutely key, and uh, I think not really having hierarchy stand in the way of what we're trying to do. My manager has a has a saying that ideas do not respect hierarchy, and I think mm-hmm. that's absolutely true. You know, ideas will come from from everywhere within the organisation, and we can work together to kind of build upon those and, and turn good ideas into great ideas. And I think, um, you know, as I mentioned, day to day, our teams are innovating, and with with uh, customers, with suppliers, and and it's really about creating that that culture where they can feel very safe to experiment, where they can learn from failures, and they can really be able to um, continually move forward without without fear.
1: Mm-hmm. But how do you do that, Angela? I mean, it's. It's such a huge organization. How do you change the culture of a huge organization? Because I can imagine that in the past, it was like most organizations, a command and control type yeah. of, of, of company. And now you want it to be collaborative and inclusive and so on. But how do you do that? What, is, what are the best practices of, of implementing a culture change like that?
0: I mean, I think one of the things that we're doing is really going through an agile transformation. Mm-hmm. So we are um, changing the way that we work. We're getting teams to work more closely with each other and end to end. So rather than having sort of handoff points between maybe customer facing teams and technology teams, um, you know, having the silos that have existed in those large command and control organizations, mm-hmm. we're really moving into having, um, you know, very cross. Um, collaborative, co-working amongst all of the teams. I think having a really clear sense of vision and purpose is key and also making sure that everyone is um, working toward the same goal so they've got a really common goal of where they're going and I guess some of the things that you know we're putting in place from a from a culture perspective, we have things like team retrospectives where we regularly think about you know how are we operating as a team what could we do better Um, and that's obviously one of the sort of agile ceremonies that you would have as well and we're really trying to create a much more inclusive culture having Mm -hmm. people feel comfortable to speak up feeling um, you know encouraging everyone's voice to be heard and there are some really practical things that you can do to, to make that happen. So things like um, particularly, again, with with COVID and, and remote working, um, as you're working together on things like whiteboards and, and using post-it notes, it helps people that maybe won't have the loudest voice in the room to be able to to share their thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. in a way that is really comfortable with them. And, you know, they they can then talk through rather than having to try and be that person that that has the loudest voice. I think um yeah that there's it takes time it, it's a, it's a change that takes time to implement you don't go from from one day people working in silos and and feeling like they are worried about failure or or you know speaking up to to suddenly having everyone working very happy and collaboratively together but I think it is something that as you move to these different ways of working, as you encourage more collaboration, as you move to um, you know a really learning and, and curiosity culture, you can you can see that that culture change starts to shift and, and we 're really seeing that happen and I think moving to um, to more agile ways of working is quite liberating for, for people as well. They go from maybe being being stuck within their silo or feeling like you know, their part of the process is the only part they can think about to actually feeling quite liberated from some of those those boundaries and barriers and feeling like they can contribute a lot more to, um, to what's going on. And, and And also, I think, really have have their say and feel like they're going to be listened to. So I yeah. think those are all very important aspects of, of changing a culture because ultimately it's about people and how they feel.
1: Yeah. Now, I can imagine that, changing a culture, changing how people think and work, is something that starts at the top, that starts at the, at, at the leadership. So I can imagine also that, that you had to work on changing the leadership style in the, in, in, in the business. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think we have definitely um, been working a lot on leadership behaviours and leadership mm-hmm. development. It's something that is is quite key to what me and my team do. Mm-hmm. I think it is about being able to um, to let go to some extent and really have that that faith and that trust in the teams um, that are working, you know, closest to the customer to make the decisions to to be empowered. Um, but again, it is something that, that is quite a big shift for for people to go through. And as leaders, it, it's a big change for us. We're having to to learn and change and move to those agile um, ways of working in the same way as you know all of all of our um, people are, are doing. So I think it is quite um, it's quite a, a, a mental shift to let go. And I know from my past experience. You know, I have come from a command and control world. I have come from a world where you plan everything, you know, very much in advance um and you have a lot of detail behind things um you know maybe a year or two out and then you deliver against that plan and what we're shifting to and the way that technology is moving so quickly you know you you need to be able to adapt and adjust much faster than you you would in the past so having to have some faith in that you know what you're doing the priorities that you're setting the adjustments that you're making, the pivoting mm. that you might need to do—it's having that faith that those are the right things to do, and it doesn't—it doesn't come immediately. And I think, um, you know, setting the, the the right environment up for people to be able to work in that way is is absolutely critical. To, to help leaders shift their mindsets and be a lot more confident and comfortable with the change. And, and when you see it work, um, you know, it's amazing, but you do have to have that leap of faith in it. It's not something that you might immediately feel comfortable with as a leader, particularly if you've come from a background that's been a lot more, um, you know, command and control.
1: Yep. Let's talk about the the process of innovation as well, because we, 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 we work with people and with culture, and that's very important, but also the way that we organize innovation, if you can organize it, the way that we create a context, uh, the processes that we put in place uh, to, uh, to allow innovation to happen. Can you talk a little bit about that? What are the, what are the ways that, uh, I mean, you have your central R&D park, which is a very key, of course, but do you have yeah. other ways? Do you have um, incubators? Do you have spin offs? Do you have collaboration with startups? What are the other processes and ways um, that BT does innovation?
0: Yeah, so I mean we we definitely have those types of things in place. I think mm-hmm. one of the things around downstream innovation is the the closeness between the applied research team mm-hmm. and the delivery arms of the organization. So service platforms, for example, works in collaboration with applied research as new ideas and innovations are coming down the path our teams will be involved with them to to make those a reality and to, if you like, downstream some of those those ideas. Um, But really working with them right from the start, um, you know, not waiting or having a, a handover point, but being involved right from the beginning, I think... I mentioned that we um, we have hot houses, so we bring customers and suppliers and they work very closely with our engineers um, to, to problem solve. And sometimes those hot houses will, you know, perhaps create prototypes or, or um, you know, ideas that, that we can take forward. I think we have um, innovation days and, and hackathons, which I think mm. uh, you know a few organisations do, and we often see ideas that come out of those days. Um, and what we'll do is bring uh, a group of engineers together who might be working on an idea that's not related to what they are particularly doing from a project point of view, but we do see those ideas become mainstream and and come into our products. And so there's some really exciting things that, that come out of those days as well. Um, and we run an innovation week. Um, obviously, pre-COVID, that was uh, a week where we would bring, you know, tens of thousands of people into a industrial park um, from customers, suppliers, um, and ac- academia, um, and it's it's really exciting. It's a great way to see some of the latest innovations and to experience it for yourself and demos, and and think about what are some of the new things that that we can um, kind of bring to the fore. I think now we we do some of those events in a in a more virtual way, but again, it's it's a really fantastic opportunity for us to work with people directly on on their problems or their opportunities. Um, from an innovation point of view. Um, I've mentioned the the agile transformation. I think that's also, from a process point of view, the way that we um, set up our teams and the way that they operate. Um, You know, we have our our tribes and our squads. We have our kind of ceremonies that we run um, and we, you know, have a, a kind of, bringing together of those new ways of working with some of the older ways of working because some of what we're doing is still you know a bit more traditional delivering infrastructure where you know you have a lot more um, I guess planning involved um, and that's coming together with some of the software that's now you know orchestrating and controlling that infrastructure. So we, we talk about our kind of hybrid processes if you like where we're bringing those two things together in order to deliver that end result.
1: How much is, I mean, BT is is perfectly positioned for that. How much is BT becoming really a platform company where you create an ecosystem around BT where you collaborate with banks and insurance and um, mobility as services companies and and so on. Can can you talk a little bit on the, the vision and strategy for that for BT?
0: Um, I mean, we absolutely um, collaborate across an ecosystem of different people, be it from academia, be it from, you know, customers and suppliers and and bringing all of those together. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've done. We've done for a very long time. I think um, we have some really uh, established relationships with the you know people like MIT and um, we work with the um, TM Forum which you're probably familiar with mm-hmm. so we do a lot of sort of catalyst um, projects with them and we are really all about having this open ecosystem and bringing in you know the the, the right people in the right way and creating an environment where those people can can come together. Um, to innovate. We have uh, one of the, the largest uh, customer showcases um, a, a, again at Adastral Park. Uh, and with that, it's not so much a product showcase, it's really an invitation for customers to, to come and talk to us about innovation and an opportunity for us to um, start a, you know, a conversation about new ideas, about where we're gonna take things. Um, and where they need to take things. so And that covers things like uh, agile banks, it covers you know, connected homes and healthcare and, and various other um, you know, topics.
1: Now let's talk about technology. Uh, it's, it's one of our favorite topics, of course. <laughs> and so you said that BT are on the forefront of, of fiber and, and, and 5G and so on. I can imagine that these two are seriously driving technology forces uh, for 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 change where do you see the most exciting use cases for for these high speed networks that are that we're now uh, living with
0: i mean i I think from a 5 g perspective you know that is really changing the way that we live our lives and I think there are so many use cases that you mm-hmm. know we're currently talking about but that we probably haven't even you know thought about yet and and how 5g can can really change the way that that we live. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of those use cases are things like connected cities. So, you know, we've got the, um, the things like parking sensors so that you know where a car park is available. You've got things like um, rubbish collections and only collecting rubbish when the bins are full rather than necessarily on, on rotation. And there are many things that will really help to um, reduce waste in society and create a more Productive society, and I think that's a fantastic opportunity with uh, with 5G. Um, from an IoT perspective, we've we've done a trial with uh, bike sensors, so having a, a sensor and bike lights, and you can, mm-hmm. and we're working with um, various um, city councils. To really understand what um, the journey of a cyclist is and where there are issues where there's traffic and to understanding road conditions and decisions that are being made so that they can re- make improvements and kind of continually improve those services and I mean those are just a, a couple of examples but you could extrapolate them out across many other things and I think from a 5G perspective as well if I if I think about sport I'm quite a quite a sports fan and so really thinking about the the coverage that you can get not having to have you know cables within your cameras and also things like outside broadcast and being able to broadcast back over 5G rather than having to have outside broadcast trucks so there's a lot of um, things that will improve customer experience but will also help to um, you know, reduce costs and, and again you know, create better productivity. I think, um, you know, drones is something that is often talked about in the mm-hmm. context of 5G use cases and using the, um, you know, the low latency, the ultra fast speeds to really be able to help commercial drones understand, you know, where they're positioned. So giving them situational awareness, um, understanding um, you know, the accuracy of where they are so that you can avoid collisions and things like that. And, you know, we're only just starting the, the kind of drone journey, if you like. And I think um, you, there'll be a lot, of, a lot of benefits there with 5G as well. Um, but as I say, there, there, are, there are hundreds, thousands of use cases you could think about. Those, those are a couple that I think are quite exciting.
1: One of the use cases that you um, um, talked to me about in when we prepared this uh, interview was connected, was connected <laughs> ambulances. And you said yeah. that, and that reminded me that, what was it, 35 years ago, Bill Gates was visiting my alma mater, my university, when I was still uh, uh, young. And he, had, he talked about connected ambulances 35 years ago. And now we see this becoming a reality. Is, is that correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is correct. Um, and we have done some connected um, ambulance, I guess, demos and trials. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it effectively allows a paramedic who's on the scene um, through using 5G and using um, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality, along with um, robotic gloves, it allows a, a clinician or a consultant to be able to effectively um, understand a patient's status, to be able to um, control via a joystick um, what the paramedic is doing and really make decisions about what needs to happen with that patient. You know, do they need to go into hospital? What is the next step of care that they would need? So yep. it's, uh, you know, it's amazing to think about the benefits that that would have on, on the patient, but also the benefits that that would have for our kind of national health service. So, you know, you can again see how that can become more efficient and, and increase productivity and therefore by, um, you know, th- increase the, the benefits that you have um, from, a, from a patient perspective. Um, so that's really exciting. And yeah, unbelievable that 35 years ago you were hearing about it from Bill Gates, but it d- does take 5G and ultra fast and low latency to, that, to make yeah. that a reality. So we, we're going
1: into a world where surgeons can just stay home and they can work from home al- almost, even surgeons. Wow! yeah. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so next to uh, 5G and, and fiber, what are the for you, the other um, most exciting technologies where BT is investing and, and where you see very interesting use cases for?
0: Um, I guess it's the converged network. So the way that we are, um, you know, bringing our broadband and our um, mobile networks together for Mm -hmm. for converged services. And I think that that's really exciting. I think there are a lot of of opportunities there and we've already launched some really fantastic products there to help people stay connected, um, you know, regardless of whether they're using a mobile or a fixed network. So I think there are lots of opportunities there. I think with... um, you know virtual reality augmented reality we do some amazing things in the sports play, um space so bt sport have a fantastic app um, there's a, a kind of match day experience that we released during the the pandemic and it makes you mm-hmm. feel like you are actually there you're in the stadium Um, So that's been fantastic considering, you know, we couldn't go to sporting events. So I think there's a lot more to be be done there. There's obviously automation and um, AI and ML and and where that's Mm going to take us. Lots of opportunities around that as well. And and then for us, you know, shifting to the cloud and just the speed at which we can um, deploy and the speed at which we can deliver new services and products is really exciting.
1: Angela, we talked about innovation, how that's organized um, and within BT. Let's talk also how IT and digital are organized in, uh, in, in BT. How, how, what's, the, what's the operating model uh, today?
0: Yeah, so we um, recently announced that we have a new networks um, and digital team. So they are the, the two technology units. Um, and the networks team are responsible for designing, building and running um, our networks and our platforms. The digital team, they have responsibility for sort of leading on the digital transformation across BT and also delivering um, some really innovative uh, customer experiences and delivering new products and services to our customers. And Ultimately, all of these units work together along with our consumer, our enterprise, and our global arms of the business to deliver mm-hmm. for our customers. So it, it all comes down to collaboration, and all of the units need to be part of that end to end piece in order to deliver. So, um, yeah, so we have our organization and then we have our, our way that we work together.
1: Okay, and you are part of the networks, the services part of the networks uh, business. Can you talk a bit more about your role and the role of of your team within BT? What is it that you really focus on uh, day to day?
0: Yeah, so um, I lead the transformation team within service platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess one of the key parts of of my role was about, you know, defining the vision for our transformation. So where do we need to, to get to over the next five years and where are we coming from now? Um, really understanding the strategy for how we were mm-hmm. going to get there um, and understanding what goals we all need to um, galvanise around. And, and that's not just for my team, it's across the whole of, of service platforms. So we work very closely with the directorates within service platforms in order to deliver this this transformation that we're going through. Um, I have uh, a role to play in bringing the teams together. So we merged our voice team, our mobile team and our TV and broadband and Wi-Fi teams into Mm -hmm. one unit within service platforms. So part of my role is how do we um, bring that together and really make the most of the convergence of those groups and how do we ensure that we are learning from each other, we are um, innovating quickly together and really just... Um, I, I call it joining dots, but there is a lot of dots to be joined up uh, across across that group. Um, we're also responsible for bringing in some of it, the external thinking, so talking to, working with, um, you know, other organisations to understand what they're doing and how they're doing it and how we can bring some of that back into into our teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and really about that leadership mindset shift that I talked about earlier. So we have uh, a leadership development programme that we're running with our team. We've actually got a kind of cross-functional group of people from across service platforms in each of those different areas who have come together into Team Inspire. And they effectively um, lead on what are the, the topics and the things that we are going to do with our, our leadership team in order to make some of those behaviour shifts, in order to make some of those mindset shifts and really have that focus on transformation. Um, and that's been that's been going really well. You know, there's some really fantastic, unique ideas that come up and very practical things that we can do in order to, um, to help that mindset shift. So, and I, I was... Very fortunate, I don't think it's often in your career where you, um, my role didn't exist before I joined and my team didn't exist before I joined, so I've been able to um, grow that team from from scratch and, nope. and that's been brilliant, being able to really create a very um, diverse team, a very inclusive team and, and a group of people that are really passionate about working across um, service platforms in order to deliver our transformation.
1: So how would you describe, I mean, you, you had the opportunity, the pleasure to create a team from scratch. So yeah. that's perfect. You could select your, your team, your people. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit, what is your management style? How would you describe and, and, and exemplify your management style?
0: So I think um, my management style is um, all about making sure that my team understand the outcomes that we're trying to achieve and then really empowering them to do that. So I provide support to them when they need it, but I try and get out of their way and let them Mm -hmm. deliver in the way that that they want to and, and, and can deliver. Um, I think one of the really important things is giving them opportunities and making sure that, um, you know, their voices are heard. Um, As I mentioned, I try and create a very inclusive environment where everyone has a say. I run a very flat structure. So despite, you know, I've got apprentices, graduates and, um, you know, other employees of all, all the different grades... But mm-hmm. we do run as a very flat structure. So I try not to um, let hierarchy um, get in the way at, at all. And, mm-hmm. and I have a very high level of trust for my team. So very transparent, share a lot of information with them. Um, and, you know, in turn, um, I, I really trust them as well to, to deliver and to, to do the right things.
1: So Angela, what do you think the people around you, And the people in your team, what do you think they say about you when you're not around?
0: So that's a really interesting question, (laughs) Hendrik. And I actually uh, did some training with my team recently on Mm -hmm. giving and receiving feedback. So I was part of the the giving feedback um, to me that my team um, did. So I guess what they what they said to me was they uh, find me very energetic and very positive and encouraging of them. Um, they found me very driven, which I think was probably code for um, you know quite demanding <laughs> and probably you know being very focused on on outcomes. Um, and I, one of the things that they, they asked me for was to understand a bit more about what is it that um, that I'm doing that they don't necessarily have day-to-day visibility of so things may be outside of the types of meetings that we would we would attend as a team um, and as a result of that, we've actually added uh, a journal into our weekly huddle of the things that I do that they have less visibility of and, and that's been really well received by them they they love hearing about um you know different different things that are going on um this interview will will feature in the journal that they'll be hearing about tomorrow so I think um yeah but generally speaking it's yeah it, it was it was great to get feedback and I did say to them as a as a senior leader you don't often get that sort of feedback from people, you don't mm-hmm. um, hear it directly from people. So it was great for me to be able to um, to get some insights from them. Yeah, well, what they, what say, they about say about no. me behind my back, I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what they say is feedback is is the breakfast of champions,
0: isn't that what they say? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Now, let's talk a bit more. You mentioned the, um, the, the leadership development program. So let's, let's talk a bit yeah. about that and about the, the kind of leadership that BT is, is, is developing. What kind of leaders are you fostering? Are you uh, growing with inside the organization? Can you talk a bit about that?
0: Yeah. So I think, um, I think one of the closest um, descriptions of where we're going is, is really the servant leadership. So... Mm-hmm. As I as I mentioned, being incredibly clear on um, the vision and the goals, and then really stepping back and allowing people to be able to deliver against those, and empowering people closest to the work to make the decisions about where they need to go, and I think giving giving that decision-making um, capability, I guess, to, to people really then fosters a, a sense of um, accountability as well. When you're the one that can make the decision about how something happens, um, you then feel very accountable for the outcome. Um, I think we are very much about, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the, the curiosity and really developing um, that learning culture and that curiosity culture, giving people space to be able to learn, mm-hmm. I think, as well, um, role modelling. So, as leaders, you know, we we need to role model the right behaviours. We need to role model. Um, what's okay for people? Because when we talk about um, learning and development, you know, most people will come back and say, "I don't have time for that." So, you know, it's about role modelling, creating time for that, booking that in your diaries. It's okay for you to spend time learning. It's okay for you to be developing, you know, your future skills. Um, I mean, we recently during the, the the winter, we have been in lockdown um, mm-hmm. in in England and we didn't have many daylight hours so you know it's dark when you start work it's dark um mid-afternoon and so we introduced something called um tech power hour where we would give people an, an hour that they could book out you know every day to just get out of the house get some exercise um some daylight and that's something that we needed to role model as leaders because when we introduced that you know people are afraid to use that they they, they feel you, know, you need to be in meetings, you need to be doing stuff but actually yep. by role modelling that as leaders and sharing what we were doing and, and you know, walks that we were doing or taking the dog out, um, it really gave people that sense of this is okay and this is, this is a great thing for us to do so I think that's a really hugely important aspect of um, leadership you know, we, need to, we need to do what we're asking people to do um, and not just talk about it um, so I think some of the the leadership development that that we've been doing we've moved from um, talking about sort of BAU and operational things in our leadership meetings to actually talking about leadership and that has really changed I think people's pers- perspectives and made them a lot more um, reflective on the way that they lead and also really um showing some of those role models within the wider um management team the types of things that they're doing and sharing that with each other so um one of the things that that we're introducing is smart working so you know mm-hmm. coming together and collaborating in, in our brilliant spaces when you need to be together and i think that's again probably something that you know covid has helped uh, to drive changes in, in the way that organizations are thinking about um the the way that people work, um, and you know, just having those conversations and sharing what each other is doing to encourage people to do that, and that is culturally a huge shift um, from you know people coming into the office five days a week, sitting at their desk, regardless of whether they need to come in and collaborate or whether they're going to be on you know calls all day, mm-hmm. to to actually having that kind of sense of purpose to come together, and I think. It's something that um, we recognize as a big culture shift for, for people and something that, that they're really going to um, you need know, to work on um, as a team to understand what the best approach for that is.
1: Okay, Angela, what is that really drives you in, in your work and in your life? What is it that really makes you happy?
0: I mean, in my work, it's really that sense of achievement when things get done. I um, I really love delivering, and mm. I feel a huge sense of achievement um, when when things are, are done. I probably feel that quite a lot in my personal life as well. Actually, <laughs> I am one of those people that likes to get things done before I relax. Um, but from a from a personal perspective, um, what makes me happy is just connecting with people and spending time with people and. I think um, you know, that's probably become even more prevalent over the, the recent <laughs> months. And I, we've, we've recently sort of started to lift our lockdown restrictions. I got to spend the weekend with, um, or a day in the weekend with uh, some of my close friends who I hadn't seen for over a year. Um, and it just reminded me of how amazing it is to actually yep. physically go out with people and, <laughs> and have a drink and have a good time. So I think that's, that's definitely what drives me personally. Now, that
1: relationships are important for you is not a surprise. Because you shared your MBTI profile with us and you're, uh, you're <laughs> a protagonist, an ENFJ. So you're uh, strong on the, on the, on the, the F side, uh, the, the emotional side, the relationship side is, is important for you. So people have the, uh, that have the ENFJ personality are extroverted, intuitive and are stronger on the feeling side and are stronger, are more judging personalities. And these are typically warm, forged types that love helping others and that tend to have strong ideas and values and they back their perspective with creative energy to achieve their goals. Now Angela, I'm gonna name a couple of typical strengths of people with your profile. And then you tell me if you recognize yourself <laughs> in, uh, in, in that. So let's let's do that test. So. People with the uh, ENFJ uh, personality type, they're typically tolerant, they're reliable, charismatic, altruistic, and natural leaders. How does that resonate with you?
0: Yes, I think some of that definitely resonates with me. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure I'm super tolerant, if I'm honest. (laughs) I I try to be, but that's probably something I need to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely, um, I think, reliable. So I absolutely, when I commit to something, I will go through with what I've said I will do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the things, um, you know, reliability probably, coupled with having a lot of, of energy and, and passion is one of the things I think has really helped me in my career and given me opportunities. I've, um, you know, been asked to work on a lot of, of projects as opposed to um, applying to work on things. And I think that has come from the reliability and the, the energy and the passion that, that I have. I think one of the things I'm absolutely um, dedicated to is, is really trying to help other people to achieve and help other people to um, do do better and more than they probably think they can. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that I think I would um, relate to as well. Now, Angela, is it difficult for you to say no? Um, <laughs> it Depends <laughs> on what the question is, Hendrik. <laughs> i think uh I think i I can say no when mm-hmm. i when I need to, and i'm also i would say, um very clear on what I think are the priorities and the things mm-hmm. that should get worked on so I think if I'm asked to do something that I don't believe in or I don't think is the right priority, then absolutely I can say no um, in saying that I have um you know, been asked to work on on projects and programs in the past that I knew would be very, very difficult and, and challenging. And potentially, you know, I, I talked about rescuing some projects. Mm-hmm. So there were some that were were really poison chalices, I guess. Um, and I said yes to them. So, yeah, <laughs> I think there are um, there are times where I, d- I do like a good challenge. So I, d- I do say yes, probably more more than I say no.
1: Well, I asked you the question because potential weaknesses with people with your profile, uh, with your personality profile, is that they can be overly idealistic and they can be too selfless. Uh, sometimes they're too sensitive, uh, could have fluctuating self-esteem or sometimes struggle to make tough decisions. What were your development areas? Where did you had? do you recognize uh, weaknesses and where did you develop as, as a professional as a, uh, and as a person um, uh, to, to overcome these um, these weaknesses?
0: So I would probably say one of the areas is maybe the fluctuating self-esteem. So I mm-hmm. think it's um, particularly when you you know you take on new roles or bigger roles I think that there is always uh A moment of you know is this right for me can I do this and I think one of the ways to overcome that is to remember and reflect on all of the successes that you have and recognizing that every time you take on something new and big and challenging you know that is a, a I think a feeling that that you go through and that's certainly something that I go through so making sure that that i listen to a a sportsman talking about having an evidence wall and you know a wall of what's possible and what you've achieved in the past to just remind yourself I don't actually have an evidence (laughs) wall but I occasionally give um, career talks uh, um, you know at at schools and and that reminds me as I'm talking through my career and some of the projects I've done and some of the things that I've achieved it, it reminds me that absolutely, I can take on any challenge and, and deliver against it. And so I think that would probably be, um, you know, that fluctuating self-esteem would probably be one of the weaknesses that I've had to work on and, and overcome.
1: Now, Angela, you like a good challenge, clearly. And you're clearly somebody who is dedicated to reliable, hardworking. How is it that you relax? I mean, you mentioned sports. Is, is that your way? Do you have other ways to relax in your life?
0: Yeah, I mean, I do. I do love sport and mostly watching it nowadays as opposed to to playing it Um, but that's certainly a way for me to relax and and to be fair I can I can get interested in most sports (laughs) so even if it's not something I necessarily follow if it's on TV I'll generally I I appreciate um, you know the abilities of of the athletes and what they're doing so that's something that I I relax um, with I think you know spending time with friends and family would be my main way of relaxing and that's something I try and do a lot of very fortunate to live in London which is an absolutely beautiful city and Lots of places to go and things to do, so um, I thoroughly enjoy, you know, spending yeah. time with with family and friends and um, going out, and and then also, you know, remotely with my family in New Zealand and my family yeah. in Holland.
1: <laughs> so, so we could have this conversation in Dutch then, can't we? Wow,
0: well, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, my parents, when they immigrated to New Zealand, wanted to learn English, so uh, they sent us all off to school, and then had us speak English when we were at home. So okay. I am learning Dutch on Duolingo at the moment. That's one of the things <laughs> I started to do um, in lockdown. So perhaps in a year or so, we could, we could attempt a conversation in Dutch. Yes, let's,
1: <laughs> let's revisit that then. So what is, uh, Angela, do you have a personal mantra? Something, a guiding, saying uh, that, that helps you?
0: Yeah, I mean my personal mantra has always been it was GSD which was getting stuff done Mm -hmm. and that's always been something that um, you know has been in in my mind and I think when we went into lockdown and I created my office at home um, I bought a mouse mat and it says stay positive work hard make it happen and I think that's probably just a reflection of what GSD really Mm -hmm. means and you know, I think when you when you are someone that likes to take on a lot of challenges, uh, staying positive is a, a super important thing to, to do in order to be able to deliver. I think um, working hard, you can't beat that. That is something that you, you need to do. And, uh, and everyone, even if they make it look easy, um, whatever their, their choice in life is, most people have worked very hard to, to get there and um, and just making it happen and, you know, Breaking down those barriers and getting stuff done—that is my mantra.
1: Angela, would you mind sharing what are your core values? I mean, what what are the what's the north star that you follow? What is the what is really the the driving values in your life?
0: Yeah, so I think I've, I've probably got two core values. The mm-hmm. the first one is authenticity and just being who you are, um, and you know doing the, the things that you do um, based on who you are, not trying to um, be anything else. So that mm-hmm. that's definitely um, one of mine. I think the other one is integrity. So, you know, honesty and fairness are a, a huge um, value for, for me and something that I really respect in, in other people.
1: In your personal and professional life, did you have... People that you look up to mentors, guiding figures that you learn from and, and can, can you mention
0: one or two yeah, I think um, I think my parents um, mm-hmm. absolutely were, were guiding figures, and they gave me a, an amazing upbringing in New Zealand. They uh, really taught me and my siblings a lot of confidence, they had a lot of faith in us and and they really let us take our own paths. They didn't um, stare us too much, but gave us a lot of support. So definitely, um, definitely my parents. I, I had a, a, a lady when I was um, in my early career who gave me a really big opportunity to move into an area that I hadn't worked in before and then provided me with a lot of support and challenge in that role. And that has really been the foundation for mm-hmm. for my career. So huge amount of, um, you know, thanks and respect for her. And then I think it would, you know, being a, a New Zealander, a Kiwi, it would be hard not to really look up to Jacinda Ardern, our mm-hmm. Prime Minister. Um, you know, her authenticity, her empathy, her decision making um, has just been incredible. And she has dealt with Some of the worst events, I think, you know, she's dealt with a terrorist attack. She's dealt with a volcanic eruption. She's dealt with the pandemic. And I think um, she's done an incredible job of that. So I certainly do, um, you know, watch her on Facebook and Instagram and really take a lot of um, respect. And and, yeah, I do look up to her as well.
1: Yeah, she's a very inspirational leader, isn't she?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, and so, very, um, very um, open and transparent about what she's doing and the decisions she's making. And so she has her kind of formal platform um, and then she has her social media platform where she goes into a lot more detail about things, is very open and conversational and answers questions, listens to you know, the New Zealand public feeding back. And I think that's, that's a really great quality for a leader, especially someone in her position.
1: Now, Angela, you um, had quite a career. If you had to pick one thing, what would be the best thing that ever happened to you? Uh,
0: uh, I can't pick one thing. <laughs> I think, I think um, the best thing that ever happened to me, I think, is the, the opportunities that I've had. And, you know, opportunities that I've had to travel, to move countries and cities, the opportunities I've had to, to work and do some fantastic uh, projects and the people that I've met along the way. I think um, all of those uh, are the best things. There's not mm-hmm. there's not one single thing I could probably point my finger at. Okay.
1: Now we all have our good things in life. We also have some tough times and some bad moments. Do you, do you care to share maybe one of these uh, moments? And and can you specifically tell us a bit what you learned from these?
0: Uh, yeah. So. I think um, I had a, a project a few years ago for a customer that i I have a lot of um, you know, I, I, respect is not the right word. I really love this customer's brand and what mm-hmm. they stand for. So it meant a lot to me to be delivering this project for them. I think um, uh, part way through it, it, the the supplier that was delivering, sort of let us down and that led to quite a delay. And I remember that moment of hearing that, you know, having said everything's fine, everything's fine, to to then everything's not fine. And then having to relay that back to the customer, to, to um, the company I was working for. I think that is that is quite tough. And I had a, a lot of sleepless nights over how to get that um, back on track as, as best we could. Um, And I think the thing that I really learned from that is just resiliency. It's about, you know, this has happened. You now need to work out what is gonna happen next. How do you get things back on track as, as much as you can? And then, how do you make it a success? And and ultimately, that project was deemed a huge success um, by both the, the, the customer and, and the company I was working for. So, it, it turned out very very well. But at the time, it felt very very bad. And it's something that, you know, I'm probably um, a, a lot more um, cautious about. Um, you know taking things at face value not not that i not that i did too much but i think you you really need to dig in and and understand what's behind some of that um so yeah that resiliency is is the thing i got taught
1: now it's clear that you love to get stuff done and you get uh, you you have a big sense of achievement and and you love your uh, family and friends relationships are very important and and that's certainly one of the things that you love in, in in your life what are the things that you fear what's the dark side there what are your most important fears
0: uh, i i'm not entirely sure i mean i'm <laughs> definitely scared of spiders but i'm not sure that's the answer you were looking for <laughs> i um I, I think it's that fear of failure i think it's that fear of um of not achieving things or, or something not being successful mm-hmm. in. And you do learn from failure and I know that I, and and have, you know, d- used an example where I have learned from failure, but I think it's that, that fear of failure is definitely something that, um, you know, that I'm afraid of. I think with the, the COVID um, situation, I think I have probably developed a bit more of a fear of just been disconnected from people so despite the fact that uh, you know I've used technology to its maximum and done lots of Skype calls and Zoom calls and and all sorts of others I think uh, I've still felt like I'm not always as connected to people as as I want to be Um, you know coming back into the office has been absolutely amazing just seeing people in person and talking to people I think um, has really made a difference there. So
1: Angela, these videos, these leadership deep dives that we do with digital leaders all around the globe, they're watched by young, professional, ambitious people that also want to become transformation leaders and digital leaders in large corporates. So what would the advice be that you would give to these uh, ambitious young professionals that want to be in your shoes somewhere in the future?
0: So, I mean, I think the, the, the... Biggest piece of advice I'd give people is to just really be, be bold and take every opportunity that comes in your direction. I think um, one of the things that has really driven my career is being open to new opportunities. And, and as I've seen them come along, I've, I've absolutely jumped at them and grabbed them, even if it has felt like actually maybe that is a step too far. Um, you know i've i 've been prepared to to try it and and it 's worked it 's been it 's been brilliant, so I think you know back yourself, um, take all the opportunities that come along, stay positive, work hard, and make it happen would be my advice to to people that are coming into their careers
1: okay Angela, Thank you so much for that advice. Thank you for sharing. You. all your, um, uh, your visions, your strategy, the way that BT works, uh, operates, uh, innovates, and about your, um, your organization, your leadership style and so on. So thank you for sharing all that. It was a pleasure. I look forward to when we can uh, get back to, uh, to London uh, to get together, have a beer together or a cup of tea. Uh, so thank you again and uh, see you soon.
0: Thank you, that sounds amazing. Take care, thanks very much.